Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello there, and welcome back to Blighty Day Fiancé, the only reality TV show recap podcast hosted by a married transatlantic, what are, whatever the other ones are, it doesn't really matter now because a married couple is not hosting this particular podcast. We have with us today a very special guest, we being the royal we, me. My name is Michelle. Hello, everyone. With me today is my erstwhile podcasting partner on Royal Tea, which was a Patreon exclusive that we hope to resurrect in some form in the coming weeks. He is also a celebrated broadcaster, columnist, bon vivant, and former Clark to the House of Commons. His name, my friends, is Elliot Wilson. Elliot, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. This is a, a very new field for me to, to stroll into, but it's, it's a fascinating one. So thank you for the invitation. Well, thank you for stepping in at the last minute. Uh, to all the Robbleheads out there, uh, fear not. Robin is recovering from a heavy week. Uh, we decided that it was best that he had a rest and got back to fighting form before we start next week when uh, we dig into the Fundy Bus, which is Sister Wives and Plathville in a double episode. This episode is the 90-Day Omnibus, where we cover all the salient points of 90 Day Fiancé before the 90 Days and 90 Day the Other Way, otherwise affectionately known as Toe. So this week we are talking about before the 90 
Season 6, Episode 13, and 90 Day the Other Way, Season 5, Episode 8. If you have not watched them, that's okay. It's Labor Day, baby. Um, Hopefully you're enjoying this long weekend over there in America. Our long weekend here in the UK was last weekend, just so you know. We, we, We still got ours. Although our summer bank holiday, or August bank holiday, I think it's called, isn't it? Um, we don't have any rules about not wearing white after, after that, do we? No, no, there are no sartorial rules attached to the, the late summer bank holiday at all, as far as I'm aware. No, the only rules that I'm aware of are that it has to rain, which I believe it did. I think it did, yes. That's, that's in accordance with uh, the guidelines. Mm-hmm. And... It should be weather that is in some way unseasonable or otherwise remarkable. And sure enough, came through. Um, now, the other thing that typically happens during this particular week in summer is uh, celebrity breakups and divorces because they like to file... Uh, when nobody is home and people are likely to be on vacation and they uh, often uh, don't get the result that they expect, mostly because things have changed with the internet and TMZ and things like that. I think that strategy probably worked up until 25 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, but yeah, now announce it whenever you want to announce it. It's going to come out. I don't think there have been major, any major celebrity divorces that have come out. I'm not aware. Anyway, that's not what you're here for. You are here for a recap. Um, welcome to the Matt Sharpiverse. Welcome to the 90 day industrial complex. Welcome to the 90 Day Fiancé Extended Universe. It really is a, a, a sprawling landscape, isn't it? I, I'd no idea quite how large it was and how great its extent. But, um, you know, if you've, you know, if you have a, a goose laying golden eggs, you, you keep it laying, I suppose. Especially when you get such incredible characters. You and I were discussing earlier how... Um, how much reality TV has changed. Granted, I've been watching it longer than you have, and I think it it's been more of a more of a cultural mainstay in American television than it has been in British television. Um, but you were you were talking earlier about how um, well, you should just say. <laughs> shouldn't you well I, I think trying to explain it. what i was what i was trying to get at in my own abstruse and circumlocutory way was that I, I think we've we've gone from a position which maybe 25 years ago of this all being quite new to people um and not really knowing how to to handle it how to engage with it to i suppose generation a generation and a half who've grown up with this as part of 
our cultural DNA. It's just, it's in the water. There are reality TV shows. People go on them. Sometimes people become famous. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it changes their life. Sometimes they're completely forgotten. Um, but it, it means that they interact with the situation with the cameras and with, with other people in a, in a very different way because they are much more able than I think uh, people would have been when I was growing up to forget, the, not forget that the cameras are there, but to ignore the cameras, simply treat them as part of the landscape. And so they're acting in ways which I don't think are inauthentic. I think that, you know, we are seeing usually their real selves, um, for better or worse. And it, it makes it, it makes it very odd because I think it, it reflects the fact that to an extent, perhaps more than was the case 20, 25 years ago, people are putting on a conscious performance. But they're also able, weirdly and, and perhaps conversely, to look, in, look at themselves from the outside and dissect their own behaviours in a very supposedly dispassionate way. You know, they can talk about the sort of things that they, they do and their character and their personality in a way which is, is almost sort of about another person. Um, and it, it's a strange sort of, not mismatch necessarily, but it's a, a strange sort of dichotomy between those, those two ways of acting. But I, I think it's just what people have now grown up with. And yet there's still a staggering lack of self-awareness. <laughs> oh, God, yes, yes. I mean, some people, you know, some people say things which might be considered insightful, but clearly have demonstrated absolutely no learning from it over the period of 20 years. And you think, do you not hear what you just said out loud? Um, I, think, I think that particular observation uh, leads us beautifully into the first couple that we'll, we'll cover. So we'll start with, with 90 Day the Other Way. Danielle and Johan. So Danielle and Johan are consulting with a uh, fertility doctor. Um, they've been trying to conceive naturally for nine months, which despite uh, Danielle's natural um, attempts, or rather attempts to naturally balance her, her, her hormones, I don't want to know what that involves, um, her planting of the banana tree, her offerings to the fertility gods, her, uh, and I, and I'm not mocking her or, or diminishing her spirituality. I'm, uh, slightly miffed because she has a tendency to appropriate, um, at least in my view, uh, the, sacred practices, uh, of other people, um, that don't belong to her, use them for her own purposes, um, and then proceed to shit on in every conceivable way, uh, her husband's values and the things that he holds dear and and no more is that obvious than uh in talking about raising children yes i mean she makes it very clear that uh, she has a certain view of how children should be brought up and that he or he is told by her in no uncertain terms that his views are are different and inferior to hers and that you mm -hmm. know he for all that he has this experience with 
you know, with his siblings and his nieces and nephews, of, of whom there are legion, I gather, and that really he's he's not done any of the hard lifting. It's all just fun and games. And I think she says at one point that, you know, he's happy if the baby's not dead, uh, which I think is a, a, a very low bar for childcare, in my experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's necessary, but I, I think parents do expect a bit more at the end of the night than, yeah, your baby's still alive. Um, but she's she's very clear that, his standards are, are sorely lacking and that he will have to step up if and when they, they have a child because she has very, very clear views on a whole range of issues, including, you know, the spirituality, the education, the, the, the sort of general well-being of the child. Yes, she said in a, in, a pre, in, a, in a previous episode, she lamented the lack of sort of organized extracurricular activities available in Dominican Republic as compared to Manhattan, uh, for example, which is, I mean, yeah, but it, it's not as if they don't play sports in DR. I, I couldn't name them because I don't follow baseball enough, but I know that there's a substantial number of Dominican baseball players. Um, I imagine they play football as well. They, spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, I felt like she was so the, the annoying thing is that Danielle is right. She is absolutely correct that their values diverge so much that it would be very difficult for them to raise a child together. But the reason that she's right is not the reason that she thinks it is. <laughs> no, and it, it's odd that this has never come up before, or maybe it has come up before, and they've had very unsatisfactory conversations about it. But, you know, the, the doctor said, you know, if we're good to go, we can start in 15 days. I mean, you know, the the, the, the embryo is getting closer and closer, and they're just having these conversations, which seem to me quite fundamental and, and beg questions not only about their raising a child, but actually their relationship together um and and so to be saying this with you know with a fortnight out is is very peculiar it's yeah uh, uh, not to mention the fact that they've been trying to conceive naturally and i put that in air quotes because i i just don't like that term um it it puts a premium on you know having everything that's biologically necessary to conceive a child, which not all people have. Um, it doesn't make it unnatural, for example, to have IVF or to use a donor egg or anything else. Um, but basically they've been, they've been raw dogging it for nine months, possibly more than that. And they didn't seem to, care to have this conversation before that point either. Um, I don't know what she's trying to do here. I, I've always said that I don't think it's wise to offer to be on any reality show unless you have a business to promote. And I'm very aware that she has several businesses to promote one of which unsurprisingly is uh is a coaching business 
and she weaves spirituality and yoga and and all of that into this. I have no idea. I guess she thinks that there's no such thing as bad publicity. Um, in, in which she is very, very mistaken. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. I I certainly think so. Um, I just think all of this stuff that she says to him, uh, the judgments that she makes on his family and his views on raising children. And, and as you pointed out, she's not asking him or inviting him to have a conversation. She's telling him what he thinks and what his opinions are. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out what she has to offer him apart from money that would make him want to put up with this because he's younger than her and he's gorgeous and he could it's not a term i I particularly like but there is a strong whiff of, of white saviorism about her isn't there that she sort of descended upon this benighted place and, and will mm-hmm. bestow the, the the goodwill and the the superior knowledge of her culture, um, and will will sort of pat them on the head and, and say, "Well done, you're doing your best." But uh, but yeah, it, it's not a particularly attractive image, right? I mean, I, well, I think that I think white savior is is generous because she's not really maybe in her mind. Yeah. She's, she's doing that. But I think it, it always brings me back to, and I know I've told you the story a dozen times. Um, it always brings me back to attending a, a wedding and many years ago and hearing that someone in the wedding party who was white and African and I believe uh, from Zimbabwe had said uh, words to the effect of, well, it's not as though we were going to let them govern themselves. And I, that is what I hear uh, with, with many of these couples actually uh, across the years. I think that, I I said this last week. I think at its best, this show should be a takedown, one, of the patriarchy and two, of Western exceptionalism in general, which leads us into uh, Brand Dan and Mary. So uh, this is after Mary and Brandan have attended church together. Um, which, uh, Catholic mass, pretty, uh, heavy doing in, in any Pentecostal movement. Um, Mary, they have an argument. Mary has what is ostensibly, uh, an anxiety attack and we're starting to, we're starting to see the, the origins of um, how these two came together or trauma bonded really 
Um, I'm always, I don't know about you, Elliot. I, I, I'm always suspicious of people for whom high school was the best time in their lives. Yeah. I think if you peak that early, then there's maybe something wrong with you. Um, you know, it, it's the ultimate big fish, small pond, isn't it? And if, if that was your happiest time, then it suggests that perhaps you quite like small ponds. Yeah. I also think that now look, I generally have a lot of sympathy for Mary. I think having been essentially orphaned at a young age, uh, we don't really know what happened there. I strongly suspect that there might've been some abuse or, some trauma at the hands of a, of an older relative. She was raised by her grandparents. Um, she says, no matter how I try, everyone will leave me no matter what I do. And I'm just going to come out and say it, even if I get a lot of heat for this. I think Mary was a huge bitch in high school. I think she bullied people. I think she tortured them. And I think she was um, the queen bee. And that's why high school was such a good time for her. You think that perhaps other people who were at high school with her may not have the same happy memories of it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the people that she was friends with uh, probably have happy memories of it, but I doubt very much. Um, I doubt very much that it was a universally positive experience for everyone. She was Claire from the breakfast club, essentially. Uh, no, because I think version of Claire. I think she was more like Regina from Mean Girls. Um, now having said that, Brandan seems to expect that Mary, that Mary's, let's call it what it is, pathology, pathological jealousy. Uh, and, and you got a small flavor of this. I think you probably either saw in the previews or in a flashback that she took him to church and was insisting that he not look anywhere yes, except for yeah, straight don't, ahead. Don't look at the other women. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, to be clear, um, Brandan had to request that his seat was changed on an airplane because he told Mary that he was sat next to a woman. Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, they also spent 24 hours a day basically on the phone together. He would watch, she would watch him on the shitter, in the shower. I'm not exaggerating. They actually filmed a scene where he was defecating and she was watching. Um, so the, the jealousy well, yeah. is extremely powerful here. Yeah, and that, I mean that's you know whatever the whatever the, the cause of it is, whatever the, the kind of source of that is, it's going to become a problem at some point. 
Um, so he, there's, there's a degree to which you may as well have it out now because you're not going to live a happy life and relationship with that kind of pathological, obsessive, uh, I must see you on the toilet, therefore, um, yeah, yeah. That, that's not going to end well. No, I don't think it is going to end well. And I, unfortunately, I think that because they are both so young and so traumatized, um, I think that they are going to use the I'll be happy when method. I'll I'll be happy when we are married. I'll be happy when we have a kid. And then it'll be, I'll be happy when we relocate back to America or whatever. Um, but for now, you know, he's, uh, he's stuck with her and she with him, it seems. I, I but I don't, I don't think it's in a romantic way where, you know, it's sparrows in a hurricane kind of a thing. Like this is, this feels very sad to me and it feels like two very sick, very traumatized people who I would love to uh, put into treatment rather than put into a relationship. And and you suspect they're going to potentiate rather than ease each other's sadness and, and uh, trauma, don't you? Yes, exactly. Exactly. The, it's always hard on these shows because you need at least one couple, I think, uh, per show who bring out the best in each other. And unfortunately, you didn't get to meet all the couples uh, this week. Um, let's talk about Shakina. Ah, yes. um, American friends of uh, of a certain age will get this. Um, this looked like an episode of the Californians from SNL. Um, I think I sent you a link to one of the sketches, Elliot, where uh, everyone's face is frozen in a similar way. They don't really have anything to say to each other. When they do start talking, it sounds like it's lines being fed to them. Um, what did you make of of this group? I mean, Shakina's a fascinating character. I, I She is. I, I mean, she did she's she presents as being sort of very together and and very self-aware and uh, and very on top of life but she she says at one point that she's had you know toxic relationship after toxic relationship and and yet demonstrates apparently no insight from that fact that maybe the common factor is her and that maybe she's the reason keep things keep going toxic and yet you know i was fascinated by her her description of her background because uh, she she starts to talk about how she'd grown up in Tennessee, and I thought well, that's interesting because she obviously you know come out of, of the relatively deep south, the, the, making her her way in in California, and then she tells us that her parents liked the Amish lifestyle, but weren't themselves Amish. It, it seemed, I mean, I, you know, I can only base uh, this on on what she revealed, but as far as I can see, her parents weren't Amish, but just lived like they were Amish. 
but without being in an Amish community. And I wasn't quite sure, firstly, what that meant, um, you know, how far it went and all that kind of stuff, or why on earth you would do that. Um, I understand why you would do that. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, my best friend from childhood is well on her way to becoming a homesteader. So somebody who, you know, she lives on a farm and they grow their own vegetables and live off the land as it were. Um, but they still they still live on the grid in as much as they have phones and indoor plumbing and electricity uh it's it's not something it's something that i could maybe do for a weekend i'm not sure i could commit to it for the length of time that she and her family did i felt like there was a lot of yada yadaing over that aspect of her life um, they yeah, didn't talk. Yeah, a lot of it seemed to be the kind of outward signs of of you know what we think of as as the Amish. You know, the kind of long hair and long dresses and dressing modestly and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's it's not cosplay. It, it's it's all born of a a, a very uh, not primitive but um, a, a very pure interpretation of, of, of scripture, um, which, you know, comes across from, from Germany and, and the low countries in the 17th century. It's, it's not just a kind of, it's not a shtick. And she right. seemed to have treated it as a shtick. Uh, and now whether that's uh, just the way she was putting it across or whether it's, it's her sort of real approach, I wasn't entirely clear. If it, if it weren't for the photographic evidence, I would think that she was making it up. Because it it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that you would do that in isolation because the whole point of Amish uh, and Shaker and Mennonite communities... Well, actually, I think the Shakers all died out. But, I think there's one uh, or two left. There, really? There was, a point, there was a point about 20 years ago when there were four... Shakers left, and I'd met two of them. You're joking. No, no. But they're, part of their thing is they're, they're so repressed that they don't reproduce, right? That's right. They, they, so, they didn't yeah. see the, the major flaw of, of a religion in saying that you can't <laughs> have a, any sex and therefore you can't reproduce. So they're entirely reliant on volunteers. Um, but when, oh, when, I, was, so when I first went to... Went to a Shaker village back in 2000, I suppose. There was one guy who just joined, um, and uh, he it had been a tech millionaire of some description and had uh, decided that it was all too much for him or he'd, he'd made his millions or whatever, and so he decided to turn his back on, on modern life and become a Shaker instead. But, uh, yes, there, there, are, there are very few of them now. It's very much single figures, but I don't think they've, they've yet dipped below zero. I think uh, it's... Um, okay. At, uh, and s- still presumably making very attractive furniture. I, well, I, I suppose so. Um, I don't know if, if, if they're really up to it now, because some of them are quite old. Um, but uh, they, they, they grow vegetables and they, <laughs> they, they hold retreats and things. Um, my stepmother's been on, on retreat to, to the, the Shakers in, in Maine. Um, but, 
Judy would go yeah, on a shaker retreat. Absolutely. Um, that she, that she checks out. It, she finds it very restful in a way that I I don't think I would. But they're fascinating in a way um, because you know it's, it's a very simple approach to life, but not quite as not quite as fundamentalist as the Amish. In that they're okay with technology where it is useful. Um, sure. So, and I, so they they bought uh, washing machines. I think in the the early twenty okay. century. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's it's all part of this back to back to what the Bible says and, and living a God-fearing life. I think Mennonites are the same. I think Mennonites drive. I, it, I don't, I, I did take a course when I was in um, community college on, uh, on purpose built communities like that. And the history is very fascinating. Maybe not so much for our audience, but it, the the point is <laughs> the point is these being Amish or being a Mennonite or or similar it relies on there being a community and the whole point is to do it in community with others so to do it in isolation sounds kind of strange um it does and i might be i could be out of pocket for saying this but i don't now look, we haven't seen them in person. We haven't really seen them talk to each other even. Uh I am not convinced that uh her partner whose name I didn't write down and therefore have forgotten is interested in is it like what is it you're muted? Sarper, his name is. Sarper. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know it. Right. Sarper. Sarper, I think, um, is maybe more interested in being on TV than he is in having a non-toxic relationship with Shakina. I think that that may well be fair. Um, I mean, it was, it was interesting that she was talking about her relationship with him. And you were thinking, oh, so many red flags are being waved right in your face and she's mm-hmm. not seeing it. And she, she's even saying, oh, you know, this time it will be different. But, you know, she, she'd met him on holiday through some dating app. No problem with dating apps, but on holiday it does start to become a little more questionable. Um, she'd found it adorable that he had a streak of highlighter on his nose when he arrived for dinner. And you think, okay. Oh, yeah, that um, kind of highlighter. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then she'd, she'd gone back to stay with him for a full week. Um, so, you know, they are, they are practically childhood friends now. Um, and she's now moving to Turkey to be with him. To be fair, that she's moving to Turkey was not necessarily the direction I expected. Um, but it, it's, you know, everything about it is a, no, no, this, this, this is not going to end well. Um and uh, you know he he talked I think towards the end of it about you know how his his lifestyle would need to change and you think really would it mm, I can only dream of some of the changes that you might have to make there, Sarah. Yeah, it's it doesn't look good. Uh, not a good prognosis, and I I don't find her. Um, terribly unsympathetic either i i suppose i always 
try to, at least in the very beginning, give people the benefit of the doubt unless there's, I should say people, what I mean is women, <laughs> because the the women are often, if not always, the more interesting people in in these relationships, unless it's the same sex couple, um, which to date, I think we've only had... I think we've only had one gay couple and three lesbian couples over the course of the entire series, although I, I could be wrong. Listeners, of course, will correct me if I am. Um, what did you think of uh, of the the knight in shining armor who Robin and I were debating when we were watching this? Is he Israeli? Is he French? We couldn't quite figure it out. He's definitely in a merino polo neck or turtleneck, oh, as they call oh, it in yes, America. So I've, I've always loved you. Um, I've always yeah. wanted to be. Yeah. The, my heart sort of went out to him a tiny bit in that, you know, it, it's a trope of the best friend who secretly loves the woman and, and says, you know, don't don't go with this massive bulked up man who clearly you want to do appalling things to you um, all night long because <laughs> it will be much better if you stay with me. And you're thinking, mate, this is, this has literally never worked in the whole history of, you know, you can go back to the beginning of time, at least back to, to the Iliad in what, 800 BC. And this has never as a ploy, as a, a ploy worked with a woman ever. All it will ever do is leave you with the kind of, oh, you're so sweet, I love you, but we're just friends. And, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's a very strange man, but, uh, I, you know, I, I have some doubts about his his entire interest in her, but it was, it was just a doomed kind of gallop into the valley of death, wasn't it? The valley of romantic death, I should say. Yeah, it was... It was just so so strange because I I also didn't believe a word he was saying. It seemed completely insincere. I I totally bought that they dated. I mean, I think they almost certainly did. But I think he was there because they have friends in common, not because they stayed friends out of any genuine connection. Um yeah. I if if anyone out there is thinking about doing that please don't for your own sake um there's I a mean, reason yeah it, it is I think I said to you earlier it's it's a handy but too late way of discovering that you still do have some self respect except that you have then just burned it down um <laughs> In, in that instant, you think, oh, no, I did have some, but now it's now it's gone completely. Um, and all I'm left with is a, a merino roll neck, uh, which is not much comfort on a long winter's night. In Los Angeles, no less. Um, from L.A. to South Africa, last but certainly not least, uh, Johannesburg even, Wayne and Holly... Yes, now they, I'm, were, they were I'm, an, uh, an odd couple. I'm um, dying to to know what... Now, I, I think it's fair to say that you are a very well-dressed gentleman. You have a distinct sense of style. 
Um, and I do mean style in that style is eternal kind of way. Um, you're breaking out your cigar I now. Think <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's all right. Uh, just, just as long as everyone knows this is uh, it, Mr. and Mrs. Snark Limited in no way endorses tobacco consumption of Absolutely any kind. Not. Um, yeah, what did what do you make of of Holly in a in a sartorial sense? What what do you make of her style? What what is her style and her manner of of dress and uh, and makeup and hair conveying to you? She seems, and I, I, I am being as, as kind as I can. I think I'm, I'm falling on the right side of kind. I, she seems to be clinging to a style that perhaps she has had for some time. I mean, her hair is very, very, very long, extraordinarily long. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always been um, warned why. I, know, I don't know because it's not something that applies to me, but that, that, you know, there comes a certain age when women can't necessarily pull off long hair in that dramatic way anymore. But, uh, I mean, she seemed particularly not very well acclimatised. She's very, very pale, uh, unless that was foundation or something. And, you know, South Africa is, is not famously a, a, an unsunny country. But uh, she seemed a lot younger than her years, I thought. Because she's supposed to be, what, 44 or something like that? Um, but there the seemed a yeah. sort of childlike innocence about her, which was reinforced by her, her appearance. Um, you know, as if she'd, I don't know, hadn't travelled much or was, you know, had always been in a, a slightly submissive relationship or had always been cared for. There's something as if she, she hadn't had the edges knocked off her in the way that I suppose the rest of us unfortunately have had to. I think both of those things are true, as a matter of fact. I I think, so she grew up in, she and Wayne both uh, grew up in, um, Jehovah's Witnesses or as Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, it's unclear whether she, Holly at any point left the faith. Uh, I believe Wayne said at one point that he that he did leave the faith for a number of years. I don't know if those were the years where he lost several teeth. Um, look, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not saying that in a, I'm not saying that to be mean. I, I think that there has been some substance abuse at some point in both of their pasts. Um, and I know I say this every week, but it just, becomes clearer and clearer to me that there's something that we're not seeing on camera. Um, because disheveled doesn't begin to cover it. It's the, the bruises on her face. She, she has the affect of, um, of someone who, yeah, is, is much, much younger than her years. Um, and at one point just took her shoes off and was walking along a dirt road. And you think, that's, that's you know, shoes are, are there to protect your feet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's deeply upsetting that 
he let her storm off. I mean, it's a stupid thing to do to walk off on your own in any city that you don't know, but particularly one like Joburg that is notoriously dangerous, um, particularly for, for women on their own. Um, they're talking about finances and she's saying that she, that she wants to help, that she wants to be involved. Wayne lets us know that he never revealed to Holly the extent to which he was struggling financially. And I think this could be a breaking point for them because I think that, I don't think that she knows anything about money. You missed a rather amusing episode last week where she was trying to, and I am one of these Americans who can't convert measurements. I learned one system and that's the only system that I know. And I famously get things wrong all the time, but she was, she couldn't do the math in her head, uh, converting centimeters to inches or meters to feet or anything like that. And she was coming out with these ridiculous numbers. Um, and Wayne in that same episode disclosed to her that he had, uh, invested some 40,000 Rand, which I think is about $2,500 or thereabouts, uh, in cryptocurrency, um, so yeah, look, uh, well, word to the wise, have conversations about money before you get serious with someone. I did think when he, he said that he'd sunk 40k into crypto, you thought, oh, I see that that explains a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, would mm-hmm. be get rich crypto bro who is you know by the way virtually no one has ever got rich off crypto um, it will happen one day possibly but you know for every one person who may have done there must be a hundred people who who have, have lost everything they had and you thought yeah that makes sense although I have to I mean I thought his his demeanor and his approach to to money was in no way unfamiliar I mean I think he's a very traditional man approach to things you know he didn't tell anyone about it he didn't want her involved it was his thing he was just going to deal with it and he just needed a bit of time um and you know i I think that was uh that was a very kind of standard issue approach to to how a lot of men deal with not only finances but you know business stuff in general but uh, as you say i mean clearly not helpful if if that was for example going to pay for a honeymoon right i i also think that again in in the previous episode, he brought up having been business partners with his ex-wife or ex-partner and um, the struggles he had in that relationship because um, there were fights about money then. Yeah, I mean... (sighs) I I don't see it working out for these two either in the long term. I just, I think they are, I think she's somebody who needs looking after. Um, Now her mother is staying with them 
until such time as they are married, if they ever do get married, um, because that's customary in Jehovah's Witnesses, I guess, that there's always a chaperone um, to ensure that, you know. But Holly, I believe, has had, I think I read that she's been married three times before. Uh, Might have been just engaged three times before, but I, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think she's a virgin and I don't think either of them are going into this. Uh, I think that aspect of the marriage is a, is a, a bit of a farce. I'll, I'll put it that way. But it's unfortunate um, that given her sort of vulnerability in a sense, I mean, he has all the the warmth and accessibility of a rock, doesn't he? I mean, he's, yes, um, you know, he's just not, not, able to to express anything which you know is a, a you know again a traditional male trait and particularly in in a culture like south africa i suppose which is quite macho but yeah i mean he's just he's not on that page at all no and i don't i don't see any chemistry between them i don't see much warmth between them i don't really know what their relationship is and again, I'm hesitant to play armchair psychologist or armchair psychoanalyst, but I, if I saw them in public, I would assume that they had a codependent relationship that was built around a uh, substance dependency. Uh, but that's just the vibe I get from them because I feel like there's, I feel like there's a whole other side or a whole other, that there's lots hidden from the cameras and that all we, we see is this sort of, this very broken lower level of, of functioning version of Blanche Dubois who is just except that instead of being stuck in you know a time as an adult or from her adulthood she's she's stuck at 14 years old kind of hiding in a in a hoodie and running away and the fact that she does run away and just kind of sprints and everything it's just that's who knows? Who knows, eh? It um, seems to be a very, a very familiar instinct to her that you just, yes. you know, if, if there is a problem, you just bolt. Um, yeah. Um, and you really, really can't do that in Johannesburg and in many other places in the world. You, you can't, as a woman on your own, just just bolt and run off. Even in broad di- daylight, it's it's not a good idea. Um, so another, shall we waltz on over to before the 90 and talk about Misha, Misha, you'll notice that Nicola uses Misha's name all the time when addressing her and at other times, Misha, he also chews with his mouth open, which would, uh, there's lots of aspects about Nicola's personality that I find off-putting, I think that would be the straw. 
that would be the last straw for me. If I had to spend any amount of time with him, I can't put myself in a place of falling in love with someone like that long distance, but I, uh, yeah, man, I, I don't get it. Maybe long I distance is the way to do it because you're, you're not actually close to him. I mean, he's certainly not a massive catch, is he? But even if you're long distance, it, it seems to me that their entire dynamic is him uh, talking at her, really. I mean, she was drawn to him supposedly uh, because she converted to Catholicism, I, I guess, sort of later in life than most. Her style of Catholicism doesn't feel very Catholic to me. Um, it feels closer to, to a kind of born again, um, seventh day Adventist kind of vibe. Uh, there was, when they showed her in church, she was shouting a lot and telling jokes. And that was certainly not my experience in the Catholic church growing up. So their dynamic thus far has been, from from my observation, like this long protracted negging of her, um, and her responding to it positively. But I thought it was fascinating when he he took her to to meet his family, and you know they they not they didn't even know she existed. Never mind having not met her, despite the fact they've been dating for about four years or something, an extraordinary amount of time. And he'd obviously built this up into a massive issue in his head. And you could see, I mean, she, she commented on it, but, you know, his body language was extraordinary. He sort of pushed himself into the corner of the sofa as if he was disavowing her in front of the whole family. Like, <laughs> nothing to do with me, but you tell it. But what I loved was, you know, he, he finally got it explained to his mother, who clearly only speaks Arabic, that, um, you know, he uh, now he'd fallen in love with an American and, you know, he might go away and never come back. And she goes, yeah, sure, that's fine. Not a problem. Um, you know, she's almost enthusiastic at the idea of him getting out from under her feet. Um, all of the objections that he sort of prefigured were absolutely not objections. His mother was delighted. I mean, you know, as, as, as the mother, I suppose, of any 40-year-old virgin would be, that, that finally his... Uh, her son well, 48... Was, year well, old or yeah, he's he's deep into his 40s yeah. yeah um but you know you know finally he's he's getting married and yeah she's been married before so what you know his mother was great she was entirely practical about it it was kind of oh thank god um whereas uh, you know the, the, the brothers i assume they were brothers um were were sort of they were a little bit hedging their bets, a little bit saying to the mother, well, you know, this does mean that he'll you know, go to America. And the mother says, oh, I'll come to America to visit you. He didn't look delighted at that point, I have to say. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, was just, it was absolutely fascinating, the way that he, he created this image, which was largely to do with what he thinks and not at all to do with what his mother thinks. Yes, and you've hit the n- nail on the head there. He has problems with her being divorced he has problems with her not being a virgin. He has problems with her having two children. Um, and I think that even though 
Nicola is not a smart man <laughs> or a particularly interesting man. I do think he has Svengali'd her to the extent that she thinks that she has a number one stunner on her hands or somebody who somebody who she should somebody worthy of of being put on a pedestal which is again beyond my comprehension here i mean look she's she's made some choices with her look it it probably won't surprise you to know that she was uh, a local news anchor at one point. She definitely has that look about her. But I don't think anyone could say that she's not a beautiful woman um, by anyone's standards. And she also, you know, is a nice person with good values and you know, a curiosity about the world and an openness to new things and all these qualities that I, again, I would have thought would make her quite an attractive prospect to any single man. And and out of all of the men in the world, and, and I have to say, and I've said this before, I have to, to reiterate, particularly in Israel, where, in my opinion, the most beautiful men in the world are sired. Uh, you, go, you go to Israel and you find the ugliest man in Israel with the worst personality. I, does, I don't get it. He does look like he'd, he'd be the, the falafel vendor in the background of a bad cop show, doesn't he? Um, I mean, it, it's... He does. Yeah, it, it's, it's very, very odd. Um, and as you say, I mean, it, it's not as if he makes up for, in personality, what he lacks in looks. He, he, he actually uh, makes worse what he, uh, he has in looks through his personality. Um, uh, very, very strange. that I don't know if her, her previous existence has has left her seeking assurance and I mean, not that he gives very much of it as far as I can see. Um, but, you know, seeking right. some kind of, of support and, and love and all that kind of thing. But no, I mean, it, it's, it's, he is, he is a very, very average to below average man um, uh, who clearly has weird either mother issues or a combination of mother issues and, and the sort of lingering self-loathing, which he then projects onto, onto her as a sort of means of transference. I, I also think that his, I also, I also found it quite fascinating that like his, he's clearly the sort of, I don't think there is a nice way to say this. He's sort of the loser in the family. Like he's clearly the one that gets bullied all the time. And it's not because his brothers are particularly good looking, but they're bigger than him and stronger than him. And I'm assuming 
you know, could probably uh, throw him pretty far into the ocean. Um, make something of a javelin. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was interesting that he didn't, he seemed like the type of guy I would have thought that would have used that as an opportunity to show off, but um, no, he, for someone who in his own words, just wants to finish the drama. Um, he sure likes perpetuating that drama and creating new and varied reasons why they shouldn't be together. Um, yeah, you are just waiting yeah. for her to say, to be honest, that's fine. I'll be off now. Um, because right? You, right? You, know, you have the, the personality of a, uh, of a chickpea and, uh, and <laughs> you know, about as much, uh, about as much charm and suavity. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be getting on that plane back to America. And no warmth. And, and she's expressed to him at various points during the season, much to my, you know, amazement. She's, she has not played any games. She has made it very clear from the jump that she wants someone who will love her, who will love her children. And fortunately her, her daughters are old enough that they, won't have to share a household him with him for very long, if at all. Um, but you know, uh, she's looking to starting the next chapter of her life with someone who is proud of her and proud to be with her and wants to show her off. And I think any guy would be crazy not to. And he's sort of using shame as a, as a way to keep her in this place of of longing and yearning and and desperation and i wonder if she's even thought about so little alfie said to me the other day i was i had a particularly um emotionally taxing day in court and he asked me do you like your job and it was one of those questions where I was like, oh, my God, I actually haven't thought about that in a long time. Because <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't complaining about the job and he he wasn't asking me because I was saying a lot of horrible things. I was just sort of saying, like, yeah, I'm really tired. I'm really, you know, it was it was a big day. And and I do like what I do. I, I also like that I only do it part-time and that I work for myself and that I can choose how much work I can take on, you know, that's, um, but I wonder if it would just take somebody asking Misha, 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 do you even like him? Do you like him? Misha, put your love aside, put your devotion to the Lord aside, put your faith aside, put everything else aside, Misha, 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 do you like him? Do you like this man? And if so, why? Yes. I don't think she'd be able to tell you. Well, look, it's not going to get much better. Um, Violet and Riley um, 
I am hoping that this is the nail in the coffin of their relationship. Now, Riley is is also a cigar smoker. Uh, I don't mean that, that euphemistically. That makes, that, that makes sense. Yeah, he likes, but I think unlike you for whom it's a genuine interest and, and you like go to a club and know about cigars and things like that. Uh, for him, it's more of an affectation. It's like he listens to jazz and smokes cigars because that makes him cool. Um, I, I know the thought. Yeah. 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 So I think this is basically his last this this day out with Violet is sort of a last salvo um the audience ha- have watched Riley and Violet kind of trade off on who's the bigger asshole every week uh it's usually Riley almost exclusively who's the bigger asshole and this is a perfect example of a couple who should not be together because they only highlight each other's worst characteristics and bring out their worst instincts what what did you make of these two he was pretty unpleasant from an early stage uh i mean there was the um there was the incident where he was made to try durian fruit, which, you know, fair enough, is, is supposed to be deeply, deeply unpleasant and, and smell like rotten corpses and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he then sort of, you know, talks about how it, it tastes like his, his, it tastes like dog shit fried in garlic butter. And you're thinking, that's very, that's very precise, Riley. Um, <laughs> you know, do, we, do we send some kind of childhood prank here? Um, but It's very specific. It really is. But then, you know, when they sat down after that at some comically small tables, because he's obviously very tall, um, so they were kind of in kiddie seats with his, his knees up around his, his ears, which was hilarious in and of itself. Um, and she starts trying to tell him about, you know, how she's feeling. And he, he really isn't listening. And he sort of gets in a huff that they're not having a conversation, that she's just, oh, oh so you're just telling me how you feel. Yeah, that's, that's like what being relationships like. I uh, love. Um, but I mean, for me, the kicker was when they're on their, their guided tour of, I don't know where it was, was it, um, Ho Chi Minh City or um, I don't know where it was. Somewhere yeah, it's Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. Uh, and so they're on the bus and he's saying, oh, it's a really beautiful city, really beautiful city. And thinking, yes, yes, it is. I mean, there's a lot of fascinating place I, I've never been, but, you know, all the kind of post, the sort of colonial French architecture and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then he, he casually drops in that he thought about hiring a private investigator to look into her her life and she understandably flips and then he starts trying to make out that firstly he deserves credit because he didn't do it that's not how it works it's like saying i thought about strangling you in your sleep but then i didn't do it so i'm a nice guy um but then he starts peddling the idea that it's it's what people do in his country and thinking no it's not it's what psychos do in your country yeah quite right um he did now, he did consult with a private investigator. He did not hire a private investigator. And I guess that's what he felt he deserved a pat on the back for, was not was not doing what all Americans do um, and going ahead with the private investigator. What, what I thought was so interesting was that he's... Yeah, he's look, he's throwing out these incredible 
astute observations. You can, you can tell he's a real deep thinker. Wow, that river is big. Wow, the yep. city is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Look um, at that river. It's so long. Yeah, yeah. You, you had patrol boats going up and down it 40 years ago. I mean, it, it's, it's very odd because he, it's all about him, clearly, because he talks at one point about how, you know, he's been, he's been deceived in a relationship before or something, and that took him a long time to get over. And you think, yeah, so basically you're working through your previous relationships as they relate to this put a relatively blameless woman um, uh, who, who presumably just wants a, but you know another stab at happiness or first stab at happiness. Who knows? I, I know nothing about her life. Um, but you're, it's all filtered through his experience, his his sort of contact with the world. It, it's genuine solipsism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> There, yeah, and and he can't, and because he's so solipsistic, and because he's he is solely invested in his own feelings and his own experience, and is so utterly incapable of looking at an issue as a as a shared one or as his. Um, it has to be, it has to always be about the other person. And he says to her after she quite understandably sort of shuts down and, uh, and, and I think at that point realizes there really is no coming back from this, that he's saying, come on, this, this is the kind of thing we're supposed to work through. Yeah, it's not though, is it? You know, um, I mean, I, I've, you know, I'm 45 years old uh, and, and I've never spoken to a friend who said, oh, yeah, my, my wife and I had to work through the fact that I'd contacted a private investigator to look into her background. It's never happened because it's mental. I mean, it's, it's what, I, what I thought <laughs> was extraordinary was, you know, follow this through to its logical extent. Supposing you do hire this private investigator, he comes back, says no clean bill of health, nothing to worry about. Fine, so, but your mindset is such that you had such overweening suspicion that it took that to erase it. It's always going to be like that. You, I mean, five years down the line, you're just going to think, well, has anything else happened since my last private investigator? I'd better get a new one. It, it's, just, it's, it's, not a, it's not a mindset which is compatible with a happy relationship. If, if that is the way your mind works, it's either going to have to change or you're going to die alone, as I suspect he will. That is an excellent point. And and the other thing that he does is not only is he short-sighted in that regard, but he's also blind to the fact that it's not someone else's job to compensate for the fact that someone else hurt him in the past. It's not the responsibility of the next woman to fix what the first woman did to you, right? And and again, you know, maybe, Riley, and I'm not saying that it's okay that his ex cheated on him and that she gaslit him about it and, you know, that he was cuckolded by someone that he knew. Who was um, hiding in the closet. I found that. Who was hiding in the closet. 
Yes. And finding that, look, that is, I'm not diminishing that as a, as a traumatic event at all. However, you have to look at your role in that. And one of the realizations might be, yeah, that woman isn't trustworthy. But you shouldn't extend that to no women are trustworthy. Therefore, it is on every woman that I meet from this point forward to prove to me in in my special little feelings and my special self that women are trustworthy. Now that I've been hurt, it's someone else's job not only to undo the hurt, but to prove that I can trust someone. No, it's on you to reach the point where you feel able to trust someone again and find someone trustworthy to be with. And let's not pretend that you went into this whole dating experience without at least four or five different women in heavy rotation before one of them said yes, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very much the kind of, you know, this is his current representative of womankind, and therefore she must bear the, the kind of collective guilt. Um, and, you know, until he sees such behaviour as reassures him that womankind has changed, uh, then he will subject her to the same kind of discrimination as, as he would the, the last cheating hoe who, um, who, who stepped out on him. And it, it's... There's also overlaying this. There's a there's a slightly uncomfortable edge of uh, of an imbalance of power because of you know where he's from, where she's from, that yes. English is not very good, and all that kind of stuff, and and that doesn't help. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, he could be a douche in any language, so I, I think that's that's relatively immaterial. Plushcare.com/slash/weightloss. This is brilliant because all of the all of the segments flow so easily into the into the next. Let's talk about um David and Sheila who are also in a dynamic where you know, I think it's safe to say um that this is a very this is a very common 
dynamic in the 90 day extended universe, as you might imagine that it, that there's an American man who seeks, uh, an East Asian woman, um, for certain reasons. And those reasons often have to do with the perceived accessibility of an East Asian woman and, uh, and the deference that an East Asian woman might, might show to a Western man. Um, but David and Sheila have a whole other very unique set of problems. Um, because you've not seen everything leading up to this point, I, I do think that they make some reference to it, but it is a rather big deal that, uh, the, for lack of a better word, the, the, the building, the, essentially the hovel that, Sheila and her family were living in was so dangerous that her mother uh, died during filming it, um, in a tragic accident. And we'll probably never know what really happened. Um, from the looks of it, I think there were probably sufficiently serious health problems that could have contributed to that too. Um, maybe having a camera crew inside a, a structure like that, that isn't sound and hasn't been checked out could have uh, caused some problems there or was maybe taking some unnecessary risks. But anyway, here they are in the wake of all that. Um, David's had to build quite a few bridges. Um, he's had the aid of, uh, of an interpreter up until this point. Uh, he's gotten to know her son and here they are in paradise kind of, uh, yeah. Having, what, what, what did you think of this conversation? Because you didn't, you didn't warm to him, did you? I, I didn't warm to him, and I, I was very conscious that you know he he does have this this major challenge of being obviously you know very deaf. I mean, she's deaf as well, I think, but seemed to be to a lesser degree. Um, it, it wasn't as, as debilitating for her, if you like. Whereas he seemed to be very much tied. Admittedly, he's in a foreign country as well, where he doesn't speak the language, but he's tied essentially to his phone as a means of communication, um, which must be enormously difficult. And uh, you know that that was. That was always a factor in the background. But there was something just unsympathetic about him, I found. It was very difficult to to uh, to pin it down. And I, I thought it came out a little bit when they were talking about sign language, because she didn't she couldn't sign very proficiently, whereas he clearly can. And he was saying that he wished that she had learned sign language so that they could talk to each other better. And you know, I think, well, uh, there's an awful lot that one could or couldn't do in a relationship, but that's quite a lot, um, you know, and, and to concentrate on that as, and to concentrate on it because it would be nice if, if she could talk to you seemed uh, just a, a very bad way of, of framing it. But, you know, in fairness, it must be enormously difficult to have any kind of relationship at all where you're talking about feelings and you know, emotions and, and all of that kind of stuff when you are, very limited in, in your physical means of communication. Um, 
but uh, yeah, he uh, yeah, he said that uh, one point that you know he wasn't sure if this was the best time to propose to her because her mother had just died, but he might not get another chance, so he'd give her a go anyway. And you're like, okay, um, right, uh, because it, it, there was an element of it suits me, therefore I'm going to do it. Never mind the dead mother thing. Um, Is any of this hostility, Elliot, coming from jealousy about the giant red penis? Well, I mean that was that was a very interesting, uh, very interesting. I was going to say interchange, but uh, obviously not. Um, where oh yeah, well we we tried to. And I, I wasn't sure where she was going to go with that when she said, oh you know we tried to to be intimate, but it didn't work. Um, and I was thinking, oh right, and then she just says, oh he's too big. It, it's his penis is too big. It's an American penis. You're thinking, okay, um, already more detail than I needed, but. Um, uh, oh, you were not, you didn't have to hear about uh, the whole discussion about his banana not fitting into her donut. Now, no, I when I, yeah, that, that's, that's how that topic was covered in, in uh, pretty excruciating detail in a, in a previous episode. To me, a donut is a butthole, not a vagina. That's what I've always yeah. I, I would have thought so. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's interesting. I mean, banana. Fine. We 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 all read banana for what banana is, but I'm surprised that he chose donut to represent. In the female component. I mean, in fairness, if he's on a a, a, a fried goods track, I can't <laughs> think of something more appropriate. But that that begs the question about earlier linguistic choices. Um, I mean, what's what's interesting about that as a euphemism is that it's actually much much worse than just talking about a penis and a vagina. It, it makes it more awkward and, and more uncomfortable than just saying, yeah, my penis was too small for a vagina, it, when he's talking about, uh, or too large, rather. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if if you want to, I don't know, what would you choose instead of a a donut? Oh, I'm starting to be wondering now. I don't know, a pita bread? I don't right? know. A piece of bread? No, a pita bread, a pita bread. Oh. I was like, what kind of... You need to invest in some lube, Mr. Wilson. Too sweet. If you're thinking about bread, although I guess I guess if you used a, a hot dog, you'd be talking about a bun, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's better than banana and donut, certainly. Also, yeah. banana and donut would be disgusting, but... Um... <laughs> I hard disagree. What if it was a banoffee donut? I don't like bananas. That is not an euphemism. Sure, but you're Scottish, so you don't like anything that comes from the earth that isn't that is brown. True. That is true. Yeah, we, we don't yeah. really trust those, uh, and they grow upwards as well, which is just weird. Um. Shall we I, move I was, on? To... I was just fascinated the oh, way sorry. you just came out with it. You know, when you know there was no kind of 
hedging about soon, no kind of, oh, you know, it's difficult because of, you know, she says, no, it just had too big a dick for me. I thought, you know, there are worse problems to have, perhaps. I mean, I guess. I think it... (sighs) At the risk of incriminating myself, um, I think generally speaking... Uh, it's, it's difficult with, with men, um, because when you're dating, there's no way of telling and, and not to go into sort of an observational comedy bit from the early nineties, but I, I think it's true. It's, you can sort of, you can get the measure of a woman's form and figure on the outside. Um, and sure, you don't know if there's a third nipple under there, not that there's anything wrong with that. You don't know, uh, unless she's wearing tights with no underwear, um, you're not necessarily going to get an idea of, um, what the what the fish purse is going to be like you d- you don't you don't know on the surface and it's not a you don't know you by looking I mean, you, it <laughs> no, doesn't, no it doesn't come up really you know the sort of oh interesting story but anyway uh, how big is your vagina just out of interest you know um <laughs> yeah, rough rough estimates you know you don't want it to be like that um that scene in central woman where al pacino saying you know i need some coordinates here charlie it does not that's not going to be good no, um, it isn't. No, I can't. I, I, I'm still thinking if there's a polite way to to ask a woman how deep or wide her uh, Susie is, but it also carries I don't a think number. There of, is. It carries a number of implications. I think. Um, sure. But, you know. But the reality is, I I think (laughs) leading to what I I worry. Um, Yeah, it's an interesting dance, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I need to know about David's penis or how big it is relative to Sheila's vagina. That's if the thing. We're, we're, we're only talking relativity. Terms. I mean, we, you know, we, we have no absolute standards. Exactly. Here. You know, it, and this is this is teaching me something because I had not. It had not occurred to me until you mentioned it whether he was a nice person or not. It really didn't. I'm. I'm. In his segments, I'm always thinking about something else. His penis. And <laughs> I think this is very revealing. It never occurred to you whether he's a nice person or not. It was just the fact that he has a gigantic penis. And that kind of, all bets are off after that. A gigantic red penis. The red I buy because he, he seems to go red quite a lot. Um, 
And I can sort of, yeah, I can, I can picture him with an, with an angry sort of red penis. Uh, no, I'm, and what, what I meant to say was there's so much else going on and, and not his disability, but the communication difficulties, the fact that he, um, because I think to your earlier point, I think she could have just as easily said, well, you haven't learned any Tagalog, right? You haven't been texting me in my language. Um, you haven't learned to lip read. Uh, we have the same, and, and I, and I don't think, I don't think it can be said that they have the same, I hate that expression. Everybody has the same 24 hours in the day. No, they don't. Okay. She's got a child to raise. She's got parents to take care of. Uh, they don't have electricity or running water in their home. I don't know how often, because yeah, sure. You can learn sign language, um, for free online somewhere, but how many hours in the day does she have to, uh, watch YouTube or whatever? And also she's, she's being expected to sign in a, in a foreign language. You know, it's it's a language which is not her first language. So it's it's a kind that's of, right. You know, that's right. It, it's, yeah, it's the Ginger Rogers doing everything Astaire did, but backwards and in heels to an extent. Um, so I think he's he's expecting a bit much there. Well, I take massive issue with that analogy because I think. Do I even want to go there? Does anyone, if you care about what I think? of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, let me know. And then I'll, then I will go off, but I'm aware we're, we're time limited here. Um, so that brings us to Amanda and Rosvon. Now, Elliot, I know you, I know you have a type. Uh, I would put Amanda in the, your type category. She seemed very nice. <laughs> no, she I I thought to be fair, you know, I was I was primed to be on her side. Um not that yes. he, he did seem a bit of an asshole. Uh, but Really? Yeah, I died I wasn't. Um but I did think it seemed to boil down to some exchange that I clearly hadn't seen in the previous episode where he she had in some way compared him to her dead husband. And you think that's, that's a low blow. Um, you know, th- there is, th- th- that's not on any level fair because there's no way back from that. Now I was primed to like her too. And I think the audience was the, uh, the general audience were as, as well. Um, she is widowed at a very young age uh, from tragic circumstances However, uh, the roles revert, and I thought, and I thought he was an asshole at first. I thought, who is this TikTok dickhead? You know, obviously he is a user uh, of some description, and he's allowing things to move way too fast. But now I see things completely differently. Um, 
Yes, he is beautiful. Yes, he's pretty when he cries. Yes, he is uh, an emotionally available, uh, caring, loving man who was not raised um, in a barn. And that's not a cheap shot at at her upbringing. I, I just mean he has very good manners and is a very, seems to be a very good host. Um, here's the truth, Elliot. Amanda has been an unmitigated, unrelenting nightmare throughout her time with Razvan. And it seems only now that he's pulling away from her that she's suddenly you know, stroking him and kissing him and hugging him. She's treated him like lower than dirt for the duration of their time together, has unfavorably compared him to her deceased husband. Um, and has basically said to him, look, if we're going to be together... I expect you to turn off whatever you're feeling that I don't like because uh, I don't like feeling guilty. Um, and in return for you, I will turn off the guilt that I feel about treating you uh, like the monster that I know that I am. That's very interesting because the thing that that put my back up towards him um, was when she was she was saying you know something like oh you wouldn't get a job as a janitor until you you sort of realise your dream and he seemed to be dropping into a very kind of precious kind of well no it's it's my dream I need to achieve what I need to achieve kind of thing which may be wholly unrepresentative of, of what has gone before um, but it's it came across to me at that particular time as him being very sort of. Um, you know, oh, I, I must struggle for my art kind of thing without willing to make any compromises. Um, so that may be a, a misleading um, a, a misleading signal of his character. So I'm, I'm willing to, to suspend judgment on him uh, and, uh, and concede that uh, she may be dreadful if she is, although she is quite pretty, so. She's quite pretty, so you will allow her um, the checkered past of her actions, which may or may not have included beginning this relationship while her husband was still very oh, much no. above ground. Right, right. That's um, I, now look. I don't have a problem with mistresses. I was one at one point. Um, am I proud of that? No, but I'm not ashamed of it either. Uh, I would have had a problem being a mistress to someone who had young kids. And Amanda met her now deceased husband um, at work at Hooters. He was her manager and she stole him from, well, 
didn't steal him. Obviously, he came along willingly. But my point is, she didn't enter into it um, with good intentions, I don't think. And uh, the biggest problem that I think most likely has arisen from that is that her her very young children sleep with a box of their father's ashes and you know somewhere out there the children from his first marriage don't have that benefit and i think that's kind of unfair well you say benefit i think um yeah that's that's a whole that's a whole level of of wrong and creepy um you know that that is that's just a sort of more convenient prepackaged form of sleeping with the corpse, uh, which genuinely does mark you out as a mad person. Um, I was talking to somebody recently about um, uh, Queen Joanna of Castile, um, who is known as Juana the Mad, which kind of sets mm-hmm. the tone. If you're, you know, if you're known to history as, as Juana the Mad, then you really have set the bar quite high. But her husband died um, in 1516 uh, when he was young. And she never, something seems to have gone wrong quite fundamentally with her psyche at that point. But one of the things was that she, she didn't want his body taken away. Um, and, you know, terrible trauma, no doubt, all kinds of PTSD and, and all that kind of thing. But to be honest, sleeping with the ashes is not that far away from that. It's only a more hygienic version. Uh, and I think I I would... I could not conceive of the size of the red flag, which that would run up a presumably uh, infinitely tall flagpole um, if if someone's children were sleeping with the ashes of their dead husband in their bed. I mean, if I were Razvan, it would certainly be significant cause for concern. I don't know if he knows about Daddy's Box, and yes, that is what they call it. Nice. Um, yeah. I don't know if he knows about that or if he does how he would feel about that. Look, it's it's difficult. I I think in the West in general, we have very unhealthy attitudes towards death and towards grief. And I think because it's a subject that is so taboo and something that we go to such great lengths to avoid, um, this is what happens. People grieve in different ways. And I don't want to, I'm certainly not going to shame these children for doing what they need to do. But I do think it says a lot about Amanda and where she is in her grieving process that a that she would have a daddy's box that the children sleep with and travel with and take with them to various places and b that she would leave these young children within the first year of their father's passing uh to go on a transatlantic uh, fuck frolic, if you like, to Romania. Um, and I, this isn't a knock against Romania, but were there not a camera crew? Could she have been, uh, 
possibly kidnapped, possibly trafficked. She's young looking enough that something very serious could have happened to her. Again, not specific to Romania, just talking about, you know, any country where, you know, there's there's a risk of uh, of abduction. I mean, she does seem to, you know, when children are very young, you are, I mean, you're not in loco parentis, you actually are the parents. So you are responsible for them. And, you know, if she's decided, well, you know, you have daddy's box, now it's time to look after mummy's box. It's really not a kind of, uh, of a particularly responsible approach to to parenting. I, mean, I say that as somebody who is almost completely unsentimental about ashes. I mean, my mother is in the, the, the attic at home, I think, and, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly aware that those ashes are, you know, basically what was in the crematorium. We all know that you don't necessarily get the, the precise essence of the person, and anyway, it doesn't matter. But I think if you pathologize it, if you make it a thing by saying, oh, well, you know, you sleep with these because it is effectively your father's child corpse, you're making it weird when it could not have been weird. And you're making that decision for the kids because you make decisions for kids at that age. That's what parents do. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think she's she's um, she's entirely on the hook for that one. And as you say, I mean, I, I do firmly believe that, you know, people who are, are widowed or in any other way abandoned should, you know, be able to get on with their lives and they should be able to do so without guilt unless they've done terrible things that she may have done. Um, but, you know, a bit of decorum and propriety doesn't go amiss. Sure. Um, and I don't even think it's decorum or propriety. I think it's, I think it's accountability. You know, the minute, no matter how young you are, the minute you become a parent, you stop being the most important person in your own life. That that's, that's how it is until those kids are raised they are your responsibility and yeah you you can't you can't put yourself first sorry that was the deal you made when you made them um on to christian and cleo a couple a bit closer to home indeed yes i I was delighted to see the the sort of stereotypical here is buckingham palace because uh, everybody knows where it is and and that kind of thing but yes that, that was a very interesting uh interesting dynamic between the two of them Um, now before we get too deep into this couple um i realize that uh my bits and pieces of my thanksgiving experience my expat thanksgiving experience uh were shared on the reality gaze podcast which i love uh discussions have been sparked in various places about about cranberry sauce. Now, cranberry sauce in America is different to cranberry sauce here in the UK. It is different to cranberry sauce in Canada. The the cranberry sauce that you have at Thanksgiving in America ideally should be homemade, but many of us have grown up with a tinned sort of uh gelatinous type roll <laughs> of cranberry puree either completely smooth or 
with whole cranberries in it. So it's, it doesn't come, it, it, it's not what you're thinking of when, when someone says, oh yeah, you can get ocean cranberry sauce in a glass jar in the UK. Yeah, you can. You can get ocean spray cranberry sauce in a jar. It's not the same. At least not the Thanksgivings that I grew up with. We never had cranberry sauce of that kind. That kind, I submit, is mostly sugar, and it's for spreading on a sandwich. It, it's not a separate entity that you can kind of, you know, have as a side on its own. Um, I was surprised that they got a turkey at Budgeons. Um, now Budgeons is a chain, but it's more akin to a sort of, um, I'm trying to think of what the American equivalent would be. I, I, I've only ever lived on the East coast in America. So I'm thinking about the, the bigger, grocery store chains that that's not what a budgeons is uh, a budgeons is kind of more akin to what we call a news agent here or i guess like a bodega in new york you'll get bits and pieces of things but it's not like it's not a full grocery store um so for there to be a a butchers in that budgeons it's Islington. It's up market. I, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but I doubt very much that they would have bought that turkey over the counter. I think they would have had to order it. Um, it and did, that did looked look like, like a sort of a bit of business, didn't it? You know, it's kind of oh, here's yeah. a turkey. And this this one is too large for the oven. Oh, you know, uh, yes, and so we'll have a turkey going. Also, there's only going to be three of you. Or four. We we don't know. That was an interesting point, which we must come back to. But um, yeah, that 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 felt a little <laughs> bit like the the kind of the setup. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're not going to find everything that you. I I don't want to over-index this. I I just want to say, do they sell turkeys in grocery stores around Christmas time? Uh, yes, because turkey is normally eaten at Christmas in the UK. If someone else's experience is that you can buy a turkey at a corner shop um, on a Sunday afternoon in Market Harbor, then that's your experience. That's fine. I, I Mine is different. I've only ever lived in London. I've lived in a few different neighborhoods in London, but that's my experience. Anytime I've hosted or held a Thanksgiving, I have to order the turkey special because it's not something that they have in stock at any of the grocery stores I go to. Okay. So now that we've put that to rest, um, I don't even know. I'm going to let you lead on this one and then I'll chip in because otherwise it's just going to be me talking about how strongly I dislike Christian the whole time. So I'm going to let you take the the reins. Well, I, I was put off them both slightly when they, they started out saying they wanted to do a bit of cosplaying. 
um, which to me is, you know, it makes them about as attractive as saying, you know, they wanted to indulge in a bit of light Satanism of, of a Sunday night. Um, I really cannot stand that shit. I just cannot bear it. I can't express how deeply I, I despise that kind of stuff. But, you know, their their lives, their choices. Um, and so they trooped off to this this costumier um, and uh, and dug out these these weird outfits, which were quite bargain basement um but it was literally a basement and presumably they're a bargain so you know if they if, if the crown fits um i did think it was a bit disturbing how hot she thought he looked in chain mail but you know you do you um but you know let, let's put that aside they have different interests and and you know i'm i'm told constantly that i have to regard people with other interests as, as valid and, and normal human beings um but what I then found extraordinary was when they were talking about they were going to have this Thanksgiving, but her friend was going to be there. Three is a bit awkward, but, you know, uh, okay, fair enough. Um, you know, he's he's only visiting for a short time, and she, although she's Italian, I think, um, she obviously lives in London, so um, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but then his bizarre tale of having fallen into conversation with some girl in the pub, and says, oh, you should come for that. What? What kind of world are you living in where that's remotely acceptable? Uh, on, on, on about five or six different points. But the fact that, you know, I, I, I think in an ideal world, a man would be able to say that he'd fallen into conversation with a woman in the pub and nobody would think anything of it and it would all be fine. But we don't <laughs> live in an ideal world. So... Even the way he framed that, I think, was awkward. Um, the way he sort of it just said it with, you know, I was just talking to the girl, you think, and she was American. You know? mm, I would have chosen a different narrative, but that's just him. Um, but then, too, said, oh, I said she, she should come along. You, think? you know that your partner is extremely anxious about preparation. And you then throw in this curveball of another woman who mm-hmm. you've just met randomly who is from the same country as you and that you got chatting to in a pub. This is a whole level of, of social unacceptability that I, I found really quite staggering. So if I were a charitable person, which I'm not, certainly not when it comes to this this relationship in particular, I I might submit to the honorable court that it's a common thing for uh, the American diaspora to uh, invite a new friend or even someone you don't know that well to Thanksgiving. The last big Thanksgiving that I had um, I invited the Americans from, I, I had an unusual number of uh, Americans in my law school tutorial group, but I invited them all for Thanksgiving, even though I didn't know them particularly well. Um, and it was nice. We had a great time. So it it wouldn't it wouldn't strike the girl in the bar as unusual for him to invite her to the, to the Thanksgiving. Absolutely. However, however, Christian talks to girls 
in airports. He talks to girls in restaurants. He talks to girls while he's on dates with Cleo. He is just just happens to be a very friendly guy who can't stop talking to women. Um, he didn't seem uh he didn't seem to extend that enthusiasm or or desperation for conversation to the to the velveteen dandy fop who was uh measuring his neck at the at the costume shop but who kept saying um, what a tiny neck he has yes yeah so exactly so small. so small um that was I thought that performance was exquisite. I I thought that was right out of uh that was that was so British, wasn't it? Like that that that's so high camp uh 1980s British comedy there of uh of humiliating someone. It was a sort of mixture of and, and these References may go under the radar of your American audience, but it's a combination of are you being served and the fast yep. show, really, wasn't it? Um, yes, yes, suits you, absolutely. Sir. Suits you. Look, you have a tiny neck, sir. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, he does have a tiny neck. If he's a 14-something, then you know, that is the size of the neck of a child. Yeah, that is a tiny neck. Um, which brings us back to Anne Boleyn, um, who, who said that uh, she had a very pretty neck just before it was brutalised with an axe. Um, but... He's just slut. Well, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it was. The, it was the kind of oh yeah, I just got chatting to girls, and it made you think. Ah, oh, yeah. Do you sometimes also accidentally fall over and accidentally put your penis into these women as well? I mean, you know, uh, it just it seemed to be about him, not about them. Of course, it is. And and look, I'm not. <sighs> I'm not especially fond of Cleo necessarily. I don't think we've gotten to know her too much um, outside of uh, outside of the well, outside of the difficulties that that she has that I of course can can deeply sympathize with and empathize with. Um, but what frustrates me the most about their relationship is not just the, the clear, uh, kind of mind fuck of like, wait, you, you're thinking that you pulled this hot American guy. This guy is a, a loser, a boozer and a user. He is, he does not, he is not the droid you're looking for, No, I'm very, very receding hair, which I always take oh. great delight in mocking simply because it's, it's one thing from which I don't suffer. Well, not only is it receding, but he dyes it and uh, he dyes it a shade or two darker than he ought to. Um, so it's... Look, it's a it's a mess. Um, but at, as an autistic person myself, or neurodivergent person myself, what what bothers me the most about this relationship dynamic is that she has explained to him on many occasions the ways 
in which uh, her autism affects her. And he treats that as something that is mutable. You know, oh, this, okay, I, I can work with this. Instead of meeting in a loud bar, I'll take you to a crowded one that's slightly quieter. Do, do you know what I mean? And, and like, instead of making you uncomfortable in one way, I'll just make you uncomfortable in a different way. And, and there's just, there's no, there's absolutely zero consideration given to her needs. And, and part of it, you know, is sadly that she makes a conscious effort to appear low maintenance and to kind of shrink herself and diminish her own wants and needs and feelings so that ostensibly she can be more attractive to him. Um, you know, so she does play a part in that, but that would that behavior of constantly flirting with other women and constantly needing the attention of other women would be difficult for anyone. It would be difficult for a neurotypical person unless, unless your deal is look, we're polyamorous or we have an open relationship or, or whatever. And then it's like, fine, let's do it family style. Right. But this is a bit, this is not that. No, it um, is that kind of constant sense of of needing to feel that you know you could you could have any woman, um, and he is exactly the sort of person who, if he were British, would say that it's just a bit of banter. Um, and you think it, it's yeah. it's not banter though, is it? it it's it's pseudo crypto sexual conversation. That's that's what underlies it. And the other gross thing is that I think Cleo accepts a lot of this because he's Christian is one more culture removed even than she's used to. So she's Northern Italian living in London, which isn't necessarily a massive stretch, but it's a difference anyway in culture, right? It's, it's, that is a difference and an adjustment, but she's dealing with a Midwestern American. And because uh, now look, she went, she goes to, I think probably it's safe to say that she goes to UCL or something. She, she seems to come from money. Um, and I don't, I think it's either you just given the area that they socialize in, I think it's either UCL or LSE, and I don't think she's at LSE. Um, but anyway, that doesn't matter. The The point is he's able to present these things to her as normal because A, she doesn't readily read social cues correctly or the same way that a neurotypical person would. And she doesn't necessarily have the experience to know that this is, this is a liar. 
you know, who's blagging it. He's making it up as he goes along. He could he he could easily say, yeah, it's totally normal for Americans to uh, for American men to flirt with other women. That's what we do. The deal is, unless you have a wife, you're allowed to seek the attention of anyone you want. What did you What did you make of the gift that he gave her to represent his love for her? Oh, the the sort of necklace arrangement. Um, yeah, it was all a bit kind of. It was, you know, I, I read in a book that this is what people do. Um, but, you know, I, I have put literally zero thought into this. Um, but, you know, here is a token which probably will, you know, it's just kind of, well, here's a shiny thing. This will amuse you for a while while I talk to other women. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he seems to have very little empathy, uh, warmth, human spirit, uh, charm, charisma. Um, but he thinks he has charm and charisma and clearly he has some degree of charm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he has that kind of pull without a camera crew following him around. I mean, he supposedly chatted up like two 20 year old girls on a plane, you know, on the plane over, which is, But I think there is also a, a factor of, uh, and I, I, I say this, I think I'm, Americans in some ways are often just a, a bit nicer to to people than, than Brits are. And I think if you yes. if you speak to a young American girl and you're from America, they might well just think, oh, you know, it's, it's a fellow American, you know, um, let's talk to him about what he's doing there. Whereas uh, British girls might think, uh, oh, yeah, be perfectly polite, but ooh. Um, what is this? I mean, is this guy getting his dick out at some point? Um, and I think that that may be a factor that just, you know, because they didn't tell him to fuck off, he didn't stop talking. Um, That's true. I hadn't even thought about that because we are. One thing I really miss terribly about America is, um, even in the bigger cities, in in my experience, it's much easier to make friends and start conversations and connect with people in, in general. Um, I think it's easier in other parts of the UK as well to meet people and to to kind of start up a conversation, but it's it's definitely something that unfortunately has... I, I I think I've become more socially reserved as as a result of having of of, of my cultural conditioning living in London. I think um, much more we're we're conditioned to think, why is this person talking to me? Is he the the person who just randomly talks to people, and I'm his chosen victim for this evening? There's a, there's a kind of suspicion or or reservation already baked into the conversation when it starts you know if, if somebody yeah. talks to you in a pub you think are they the pub bore you know are they the person who always talks to new people or people who are on their own is everyone else looking at you thinking oh god you poor girl you're tonight's sort of chosen uh chosen star prize um i, I think that 
that isn't present to anything like the same degree in Americans, which which may be why he's more tolerated. I think that American women are also conditioned socially to uh, be tolerant of men like that. I think that's slowly beginning to dissipate um, as the new generations come of age and hopefully there's less of that happening and less of that feeling like we owe it to a man to listen to him try to ingratiate himself. Um, but anyway, yeah. What, what, what's your prognosis for these two? I think she, unfortunately, will try to cling on to the relationship because uh, whether because she's genuinely fond of him or because she, she feels a sort of need to, to be in that relationship or whatever. And I think he will happily perpetuate it because, you know, it's comfortable and uh, convenient for him, but we'll see it as, as no, uh, as no drag on his persistent persona of a bit of a dick. Um, so actually they may, they may trundle on, but I, I don't, I don't see sort of uh, twittering bluebirds and and uh, enormous bursts of happiness and and fairy tale endings and well not good fairy tales anyway maybe some of the bad German maybe German fairy tales <laughs> yeah ones where I kids end totally... up in or something oh for sure I I was <laughs> somebody. Uh... I, I shared uh, a meme about German fair, fairy tale endings on uh, on our Instagram at Blady Day, and um, someone wrote to me and and sa- said that she had introduced many many people to to the book Struel Peter, um, and I said I. I, I responded to her. I think it says a lot about me that I have received that book twice as gifts, and I have both of them. Um, and it's really dark. It's dark as hell. Yeah, and not just the I, I, I kind of uh, apart from the racist bits, I. I really like it. I like the illustration style. I like the the ugliness of it. Um, I like the darkness of it. I just, anyway. But the idea um, that, you know, if, if you suck your thumb, what will happen? Somebody will cut them off. I, uh, yeah, poor little suck-a-thumb. Okay. Um, oh. And it's just, a, it's a very sort of, it's a very brutal approach to life, isn't it? You know? Suck your thumb, something bad might happen. Oh, no, something bad will happen. A guy's come along with some shears and cut your thumbs off. Not going to suck on those anymore, are you, kid? I mean, it really is. It's, you know, um, it, it's no time for learning lessons there. Well, but the lessons in the book, you just shouldn't do it. That that book, the title of that book should be whatever the German version uh, the German translation is of fuck around and find out. Yeah, very much. And, you know, I'm, I'm putting out an updated, I'm putting out an updated, dated version of Struel Peter minus the racism 
and it's called Fuck Around and Find Out. Fairy Stories for Children. It is a, it's a, it's a very dark culture. And a, you know, in, in, in very many ways, a, a sort of fascinating and, and quite artistic culture, but it's, it's not one which is, is happy and, and light and, and full of, you know, happy endings. You know, it's, it's that Germanic kind of, no, there are no happy endings. Everybody dies, usually brutally and horribly and in pain. Bye. Having said that, German expressionism was one of the, and the Bauhaus movement, like a lot of incredible art movements have come out of Germany. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, you don't look at Otto Dix and think, well, this is going to go well, isn't it? This, this, is, <laughs> this is depicting a happy country. Oh, goodness. Well, let's travel to somewhere much sunnier than Germany. No knocks on Germany. We love you, German listeners. And uh, like I say, my um, German expressionism is is my everything as as a movement. It's my. I love German films. I love uh, German architecture. I'm not so keen on the food, but Austria more than makes up for it with cake. Um. And pastries. Now, we have come to Panama, Panama, with Gino and Jasmine. Now, this was, this was, I have to say, an all-time high. When I got the text from you today asking me what Gino's deal was with his hat, it was like It was similar to the feeling of, um, you know, watching uh, a small child, I don't know, see one of the phenomena, seeing a natural phenomenon for the first time. I'm I'm trying to think of a moment in my own life and I just can't. I think... I think the closest I've come to that is when I was a nanny, one of the, one of the kids I was looking after asked me where heaven was. Um, yeah, it was like that. It, it, it was a moment that's simultaneously like so full of wonder and life affirming and amazing that someone could ask you could ask me a question like that. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say at the outset, I'm very pro hat. I love hats. <laughs> I think people should wear hats more. I wear hats as much as I can. Hats are great. How You've also got a great head of hair. Thank you. I have to say. I, well, you know, I, I do my best. It's, it's been a, a work in progress for, for 45 years. Um, however, there is a fundamental truth and this applies to men from early middle age, but is presumably true before that. If you always wear a hat, there is literally nobody in the world who is thinking that he's got a full head of hair under there. What they're thinking but... is you're a balding bastard and you haven't come to terms with it yet. You're obviously precious about it. But you don't need to be precious to the degree that Gino is. Where, you know, she's, 
you know, giving him a spa facial, and she touches the brim of his hat, and he loses his absolute shit. It's like, oh, you touch the precious things. No, get away. Don't touch the hat. And she compromises by suggesting that he turns it backwards. And <laughs> even that, he does very reluctantly. Not for the obvious reason, though, if you wear a baseball cap backwards, you look like a bit of an ass. But because, you know, he, he just doesn't like any interference in the whole hat arrangement. And you think, well, you know, what, what is under there apart from the obvious lack of air? Um, it's just well, very odd. See, this is where he's one step ahead of you because Gino has a small patch of hair just below where the hat is. So I think we've I think we've had fleeting glimpses. I think one time when they had an argument his hat came off. And we had a fleeting glimpse of his bald head, but he's got like a uh, like a patch right at the base of the skull, um, just beneath where the the hat goes. And uh, I agree with you. I don't think he's fooling anyone. Um, unfortunately, you didn't get to see him in his. I, I, he has changed over time. He used to wear. Uh, he used to just have the sleeping hat and the day hat, uh, which was red. Um, now he'll wear a fedora. He'll wear a Panama hat. Um, yeah. I mean, so a sleeping hat, unless you are Ebenezer Scrooge or earlier, <laughs> is just unacceptable. Um, you know, if you want to go the full Victorian nightcap, I applaud you. Uh, I think that's it's a wonderful thing. You should you should give in to your your basis desires and and be that guy. But he's clearly not. He's clearly a whole other. No. Other and look, movies. I don't. I wear a bonnet to sleep in sometimes because my hair is thinning in places, and I'm trying to preserve it. Um, it's not terribly attractive, but it does the job and it keeps my hair from getting tangled and preserves the volume. It's, you know, it's all right. It works out for me, especially in the winter when it's really cold. I don't wear it as much in the summer, but I don't know what a baseball cap is going to do for you in the night apart from cultivating some kind of fungus. Yeah. And you on know, the scalp. God still knows you're bald. He can he can see through that. You're not fooling him, right? And 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 Jasmine probably knows that you're bald. What what did you make of Jasmine as someone who hasn't had the the benefit of getting to know her as as the rest of the audience has? She seemed she seemed very nice. I mean, you know, I have my issues with lip filler, and clearly she doesn't have those same issues. But you know, that, that's her choice. Um, but you know, she she's obviously quite feisty which is is fine um but you know when they had the massive fight in which i thought she was entirely in the right by the way um you know she said at one point you know you cheap weirdo motherfucker and i thought yeah he is a cheap weirdo motherfucker i mean you know that's simple you couldn't be sued for that jasmine you 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 stick your guns there um and, you know, her throwing his clothes on the floor was a bit performative, but him then throwing her clothes on the floor in response, given that he's, what, 20 years older than her or something, you think, 
come on, are, are you actually, is this actually how you're responding to her perfectly legitimate concerns and 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 unhappiness at the fact that, you, you know, you you won't help her financially with, with what seemed to be not a huge amount of money in, in the quantum of things. Um, overshadowed by the fact that you are clearly a massive asshole. Yeah, I agree. I Look, I'm of the opinion, and there are a lot of people who think that Jasmine is a gold digger and blah, blah, blah. Jasmine, Jasmine works hard for what he gives her. He, and I, I even hesitate to say gives her because I just think the exchange in this couple is such that, yeah, there's, look, there's a transactional element to it, but if you don't want it to be transactional, then you need to, then both people need to change the kind of conversations they're having about this relationship because clearly he's not fucking her or if he is, it's not happening enough. No, because she, she uh, made it quite clear that her, her ex was far superior in that respect. Oh, and it, they didn't show her ex, but I promise you he is and it is massive. Like when he drops trow you hear a thunk on the floor. That's, that's how big his dick is. I'm very confident about this. Um, I think I'm not sure what she's getting out of this apart from the fact that she's already invested several years into this relationship. And I think that she does love him. Unfortunately, she suffers from the same or similar uh, far less debilitating, but similar uh, abandonment issues that Mary has. Um, but Jasmine's a good deal older, and Jasmine has at least two children. Um, Jasmine, I... I feel for a lot. Uh, one, I think she makes excellent television. Uh, I think you can objectively say she has star power. She's very fun to watch. Um, and the two of them are quite fun to watch. I don't like to watch them getting along. Uh, when they do get along, they are really affectionate. And he has this creepy giggle that I find really unsettling. I really don't like Gino. I'll just come out and say it. Um, and I think the reason I don't like him is beautifully uh, illustrated by the fact that he says, that once they're married, she will be the most important person in his life. Yes, that was an interesting parsing, wasn't it? Um, because it, it it makes it incredibly bureaucratic, almost. You know, once we yeah. use that, so once we get to you know phase three of this of this project, then yes, you will be 
the, the most important thing in my life. But given that we are only at phase two at the moment, uh, then then no, clearly that's that's not the the level which we've reached yet. It it's not even that. It's that I don't think that he is stupid. I think he's smart enough to understand that his actions have consequences and, um, excuse me. Sorry, I was absolutely parched. Um, sorry about that. I think he's, he does a similar thing to what Nicola does and what Christian does, which is he, Gino sees that Jasmine is bending over backwards to the point of self-mutilation, really, to be what she believes is the most beautiful, the most attractive, the most loving, the most giving, the most generous uh, that she can be. And he can't even give her a crumb of validation. And part of that is because they have totally different values. And it's hard to talk about values without, you know, also hearing in your head morals and ethics, but that that's not what I mean. And I don't mean that, that one has better values than the other, or one has higher values than the other. It's, you might say that her love languages are gifts and words of ad, uh, of affirmation, right? She really needs words of affirmation. She wants to be told that she's beautiful. And so she goes out of her way to do things that she thinks will attract that attention or invite those compliments, right? Um, his love languages are, I guess, I guess acts of service. You know, he always talks about how he wants her to be nicer to him. He doesn't want to have arguments. He wants their communication to be, to be better. I don't even know if he knows what he wants. But he... But what's egregious and what's wrong is that I know that he knows that he's hurting her and he's indifferent to that pain. Yeah, it's interesting. You can very much imagine him and Nicola and Christian in a bar talking about how unsatisfactory women are, um, you know, chatting away over a few, and yes, they probably do call them brewskis. Um, and it's just, it's a repellent thought, but it's one which comes together with such pinpoint accuracy that you can, you can really see it. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish that she cared more about herself and I wish that she valued herself more. 
Because this guy, like you say, he's he's a loser. And if she is a gold digger, then I kind of take my my hat off, as it were, to her for liking gold that much, because she really must be dedicated to it. And I think if you like it that much, you kind of deserve to get it, because she's waiting for a lot of shit to find it. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, what do you, what do his family think is going on here? Right? If they are so critical of her, if they're so bothered by the fact that he pays for things, then that's an issue that they should take up with him, not with her. That's gotten, he can do whatever he wants with his money. And I don't, it's just, it's really sad. I'm sad for her, but I also want this to go on forever and ever. <laughs> oh, I, I could watch her screaming that, uh, you know, her ex knew how to fuck her in a way that he doesn't all day and all night. I could, I could watch that shit 24 hours a day. Um, my favorite, my favorite was when she said, I wrote it down. She's, she said, do you want to see a recent video of me fucking my ex? I mean, she's she's prepared to go all out when when the mood takes her. And I, I think that's admirable. Um, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think she's perfectly entitled to to reach for the, the nuclear button when uh, he is clearly a, a kind of nuclear-grade arsehole. I just wonder, my quest, well, I have a lot of questions, but I'll table them for now because we're coming on to two hours. We, as, as usual, we have, we've talked a lot. You've provided some incredibly valuable insight. Um, and if you'll permit me, uh, because I have not done this with you yet, and we didn't get a chance to do it at the coronation because obviously that was that was a bigger deal. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, the questions that were originally uh, Bernard Pivot. They were adapted. Uh, by James Lipton, the late great host of uh, Inside the Actors Studio, a popular American show. Um, What is your favorite word? You're on mute. I just want to... There you go. Yeah. Um, My favorite word... I do like, because I used it earlier, circumlocutory, um, but I'm aware that I fall back on extraordinary more than I should, which I, I tend to be, I, I suppose I mean it in a value-free way, except that it's never used in a value-free way by me. It always means egregiously awful, but I sort of roll it back into extraordinary. So that's certainly the one which I, I employ more than I should. What is your least favorite word? Well, brewski is quite high up there. Since we're <laughs> this. Um, uh, I, I have a whole set of um, 
uh, this will, will make no sense to an audience outside Scotland or Northern Ireland, but a set of bokey words. To boke is to, to vomit in, in, uh, in, in Celtic. So, uh, you know, something... I've never heard that uh, something before. Something um, gives you the boke uh, to me that makes you feel physically unwell. So I have a whole slew of, of bokey words. Um, mainly they're, they're kind of cutesy derivatives or they're, they're sort of homely and, and charming, but it's things like cuppa, or a cup of tea, or um, uh, I, I have a, I have a bit of a problem with crimbo for Christmas. Uh, that that is not. I a, hate crimbo. Yeah, it, it's it's not a good one. Um, brew uh, in the Yorkshire sense of of tea. Uh, I don't like mm-hmm. at all. Um, uh, natter, uh, as in you know to to talk or to chat. <laughs> oh, should we have a wee natter? No, I'd rather gut myself with a fish knife. Um, so those are among my 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 least favourite words. Though I'm also very not fond of moist, just because it sounds unpleasant. Well, that's the classic, isn't it? That that word has never bothered me, and I know I'm I know I'm in the minority there. Um, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, words, to be honest. Um, language. I find, I find language extraordinarily beautiful. Well, extraordinary. I find language very beautiful. <laughs> um, infinitely adaptable, infinitely creative. You know, we have, we have 26 letters, um, a relatively restrained number of words. I mean, English is, I think, supposed to be about 10,000 words, which is unusually high for for most European languages um, because we borrow so much. And yet, you you can you can say almost anything. You can you can put together phrases which have you know have never been said before in the history of human interaction. Um, and uh, I mean, English is is particularly good for this. And English, as it's spoken by British people, I think is particularly because of, of class associations, because of the length of time that we've been speaking it, you can say an, in, an inordinate number of things in incredibly nuanced ways, with incredibly subtle uh, grades of meaning. Um, but, you know, I mean, a simple example is the word quite. Um, you know, depending on intonation or something, if you say something that was quite good, then it was it was it was all right. If you say something was quite good, you mean it, it was really much better than you expected. Um, so yeah, language to be incredibly poncy about it. <laughs> As usual, you're doing the thing that you are most famous for, which is turning a, a one word answer into forty paragraphs. But I mean that in a I mean that as a compliment. You're n- you're not an economical man when it comes to words. No, I'm afraid. But not. that's one of the many things I I love and cherish about you. What turns you off? <laughs> Insincerity, by which I don't mean something which is is constructed i've got no problem with people constructing personas for themselves i, I mean I've, I've i've said many times in many formats that you know if you if you invent a, a persona if you invent a character for yourself absolutely fine great to do that that's what people do all the time but phoniness 
I, I find difficult to, to bear. What is your favorite curse word? I think we all know what it is, don't we? It's got to be cunt. I mean, yeah. it's just a brilliant word. What sound or noise do you love? For all that I don't drink anymore, still the, the sound of a cork come out of a bottle is, is heavenly. Ooh. Ooh, I love that. What sound or noise do you hate? The usual one of, of nails down a blackboard is, is bad. Um, foxes getting jiggy with it, I've been kind of <laughs> habituated to because I, I, I happen to have foxes in, in the area and you can hear them at night. Uh, although, you know, having, having learned a little but not more than I needed to about fox anatomy, you can see perhaps why. Um, but it, it, it is a bit of a, a horrible screeching sound. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd go with... with with nails down a blackboard. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I always, always, when I was a child and a young adult, I wanted to be a barrister um, because I thought the law was quite interesting. Really? Yeah. yeah that was, You've that was never my, told me this really? in all the time we've known that, each that other. That was my intention until I was about 15 or 16. Um, that I would, you know, I would go and read non-law as a degree subject and then convert. And, and But it, it, I think partly I, I quite enjoy the, the sort of formality and the logic and the the the, 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 the sort of uh, the way in which law has to be interpreted. And, and again, it comes back to language and interpretation, all that kind of stuff, but also the performance um, of, of, Same. of being in, in a courtroom. I've never tried being a barrister, obviously, because they don't let you just have a go, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, when I was very, well, not when I was very young, when I was about 13 or 14, I did a week's work experience in a solicitor's office. Um, and uh, my mother, God rest her soul, uh, at the end of the week, uh, bought me um, the latest Rumpole book by John Mortimer uh, and uh, a half bottle of Claret. And you think, well done, Ma. You've created a monster. Um, so yeah. So yes, that, that was that was what I I I intend. That was my first sort of proper career ambition, but it it, it didn't last. What profession would you not like to do? I'd be hopeless as a surgeon because I'm quite squeamish and a bit shaky, and I think both of those things are <laughs> are frowned on in the in the knife wielding uh, milieu. <laughs> I love how, I love how in this scenario, you're not going in as a surgeon with any training. They're just, they're just giving you the, the yes. scalpel yeah. at, as is. See how you get on. Because um, you were persuasive enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that would um, be a bad one. And finally, if heaven exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Jesus, who let you in? <laughs> oh, well, we've talked a long time and I could have gone on for hours and hours more. It's always such a pleasure. I know how much our listeners love your the dulcet tones 
of your lovely soft Scottish brogue. Um, it's a joy to listen to. Your company is a joy. We don't always agree on everything, but that keeps things interesting. You are the person with whom I would unquestionably want um, as my Brooke Astor Walk companion. For those of you not in the know, uh, Brooke Astor, the the late, great Manhattan socialite, uh, used to meet people. She got bored of going for lunch, lunches and dinners all the time with people. So she would have people go for a walk with her. And the rules were that uh, you could only talk about other people and you couldn't say anything nice. Um, so I hope for all of you that that you have a Brooke Astor Walk companion. And if you don't, uh, that you can make me and Elliot and Robin and Cousin Dan and Amanda and everyone at the Blighty Day and uh, Peggy Ann and everybody at the Blighty Day family, your Brooke Astor Walk companions. My name is Michelle. Joining me, uh, tell them where to find you, Elliot. Well, um, I'm on Twitter at Elliot Wilson Two. That's E L I O T Wilson Two. Um, so feel free to to wander over there and experience the joy which is me. Um, and on Instagram, Elliot Wilson, uh, just E L I O T Wilson, one word. All right, folks. Uh, Enjoy your four-day weekend, um, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.